Thanks for joining us today for the second part of our conversation with Emily DeLapp on the topic of children's reintegration back into their families. I'm Sarah Gazarek, Executive Director of the Faith to Action Initiative, and Emily is Head of Technical Support and Policy for Family for Every Child, a network of organizations in 25 countries working together to ensure that children can grow up protected in families. Emily, in our first conversation, which we encourage our audience to listen to, you gave a great overview of what the cross-cutting principles of successful reintegration are. In this conversation, we wanted to highlight a new resource that you've worked on, as well as to provide some concrete examples for our listeners. We are so excited about the newly released guidelines for children's reintegration and know they're going to be helpful for those seeking to transition their ministries from orphanage care to supporting family care. Please tell us more about these guidelines and why they will be helpful to our listeners. The guidelines um, are designed to pull together information from all of those people who are working with different groups of separated children. So children who have been trafficked, children separated by emergencies, children who've been in um, residential care or other forms of alternative care. And it brought together experts from many different countries and contexts. I think we had around uh, 60 people actually commenting on the guidelines and, and bringing in their expertise on the guidelines. They're aimed at those who are um, designing reintegration programs and they're designed to give people principles of good practice and very sort of practical guidance for all of the steps of the reintegration process. The start of each section has very short summaries. So hopefully, even if people don't need a, a very long set of guidance and lots of detail, they can get the bare bones of what reintegration is and what the different aspects uh, involved in successful reintegration are by taking a look at the summaries and then following up on the parts of the guidelines which they find to be most interesting to them. And they include um, actual examples of uh, reintegration programs and aspects of reintegration programs from all over the world as well. Do you have some examples that you could share with us now? Well, I had um, three examples in mind. I think um, what I wanted to do is kind of highlight uh, cases where organisations have managed to reintegrate children against the odds um, in very difficult, very challenging situations, I guess, to show what, what's possible. That would be great. The first example is from an organisation called Huconi, who work in Mexico, and they work with children who are living on the streets. And they work with the children that other agencies won't work with. The challenges that they face are so deeply embedded. And uh, usually the problems that these children face are, are really around um, violence in their families. And this violence often goes back over many generations. So Hukoni have this exercise where they, um, they look back over generation and generation and try and identify it, violent instances that have happened. And they can see that it's gone back for, for many, many generations of instances of um, homicide and murder and, and uh, violent domestic abuse. So it's very entrenched in these families. But they have managed to work um, really successfully with children and their families to change this cycle of violence. And they work very intensively. They provide therapy and they um, show children and their families how to interact and behave in a different way that doesn't rely on violence. And they also follow up children. And they follow up children often for many, many years. They sort of maintain a relationship with children. And, and they can see from this follow-up that um, very few children are returning to the streets. 
The next one's from an organisation called Next Generation in Nepal, where I'm currently living. This organisation works with children who have been sent by their families to live in orphanages, to often to get an education. And uh, unbeknownst to their families, these orphanages are often just money-making fronts. So the owners will entice children to come and live there with a the promise of education. And then they will raise money from Western donors and tourists um, by showing them these vulnerable children that they're supposedly taking care of. Um, but often children are living in, in very dire situations in the orphanages and, and really suffering. So uh, Next Generation Nepal and their um, Nepali partner organisation, who are called the Himalayan Innovative Society, are working together to try and reintegrate these children and return them to their communities. And these children come from extremely impoverished and remote areas of Nepal. So often it's several days walk from the nearest road. And just to get to the nearest road is often several days bus journey from Kathmandu, where most of these children are based. Whilst they're living in the orphanages. And to add to those already huge logistical challenges um, in the last decades, Nepal has been through a major civil conflict and also uh, had a huge earthquake last year. But uh, Next Generation Nepal and the Himalayan Industry Society are managing to safely and successfully reintegrate uh, quite large numbers of children. What really impresses me about the, the, both of these organisations is that despite the fact that uh, they have to journey for, for many days just to reach these families, I think many organisations would be tempted to just say, OK, we can only do this once, we're going to take the kids there and we're just going to leave them there and hope for the best. But they don't do this. Uh, they don't try and rush children's reintegration. They know that children have often been apart for long periods of time and that their families and communities are facing very deep problems um, around there being no services, extreme poverty, and more recently around uh, uh, the issues caused by the earthquake. So they will first of all go and visit families. Uh, they will try and maintain remote contact between the child and the family so they can have a telephone call or exchange letters. And then they'll take the child on um, short-stay visits, maybe supervised, maybe then longer unsupervised visits before they finally return the, the child back into the family. And then they'll follow up afterwards to check that the child and the family are, are, are safe and getting on well. And again, they have, a, they have a high success rate and they've been able to ensure um, that children are growing up happy and settled within those families. That's really interesting, Emily. How are they able to reintegrate children who are in orphanages that may not want them to reintegrate those children? What they do is they um, rescue the children from the orphanages with the support of the government of Nepal because the government okay. will go and, um, assess, you know, go and uh, check out those orphanages and realise that this abuse is taking place. And then they will remove the children from the orphanage um, and place them in a temporary transit centre that's run by Next Generation Nepal. Okay. And the third example? The third example is a bit of a shorter example, but it's a case of what happens when you don't reintegrate children. And this is from some conversations that we had with um, staff in a centre for uh, street children in Ethiopia a few years ago. Um, and this centre for street children were doing their very best. They had very few resources to look after children and they could basically care for them in, in this centre, but um, they didn't have enough resources to properly reintegrate them. So um, they would contact the police when they had a child who uh, needed to return to their home community, who would take the child on a local bus back to the community and leave them there. So there would be no preparation and no follow up. 
And uh, this centre reported seeing the same children coming back to their centre again and again and again because the problems that they faced at home, the violence or the fact that they couldn't go to school and there was nothing for them to do um, or um, the, the trafficking um, was not resolved and it meant that the children just went home and returned again and again and again. I would use this example to say a lot of people would say that the example from Hikoni in Mexico or from Next Generation in Nepal um, may be quite expensive. You know, it costs quite a lot to invest that much in um, traveling long distances or working very intensively with families over a number of years. But I would argue that not reintegrating children is more expensive because children come back and you have to repeat the process again and again. So if you don't reintegrate children properly in the first case, you're likely to have to do it again and it's likely to cost you your organisation more. And obviously it's likely to have a, a deeper and more devastating impact on the child as well. To build on that, it's not a one-time occurrence. It's a process, right? We would definitely see uh, reintegration as being a long-term process. It's not just um, a one-off event where you return a child to a family. It's about building a relationship with the child, understanding them, understanding why they've become separated in the first place, and understanding uh, the context that they come from, their family, their community, um, and the issues that they face back at home. And, um, and then working with the child, the family and community to try and resolve some of those problems. You cannot force a child to return back to their family or community and you can't force a family to accept them back either. Um, making sure that you provide proper follow-up support, that you're monitoring the child. And this is a process that can take place over a number of years. So um, it's very, very important that it's not just something that's done quickly and in a rush and that time is taken to do it well. Great. I know we don't have a whole lot more time to talk, but I want to ask you, what if reunification efforts do not work? What do you recommend or what would you like to share with our folks about that? First of all, I'd say that we do recognize that reintegration, reunification is not always possible and it's not always the best thing for the child. There are many cases where it's, you, you can't trace the family, you can't find them, or the, when you do find the family, you find that the parents have died or you find that the, the violence and abuse within the family is so extreme, it's just not a safe environment to return the child to. Um, and when it's not possible to return children to their families, the, the key thing really is to find children another family that they, they can grow up in and live in. So initially, this is probably temporary care, um, just while you're really trying to exhaust all possibilities of uh, reintegration. So you might want to try and place a child in foster care, although foster care doesn't exist in all contexts. If that's not possible, you might want to place a child in a small, a small group home in small scale residential care that can offer really high quality care and really um, support the child whilst they're waiting to explore whether reintegration is a possibility. Um, and then I think once all possibilities of reintegration have been explored and exhausted, then it's important to try and find a more permanent home for the child. So that might be adoption. In some contexts, adoption isn't accepted or culturally appropriate. So you might want in, in those settings to look at long-term foster care. And for older children, um, maybe in their late teens, who are really approaching adulthood, you might want to support them to live independently. What you've just shared seems like a pretty big endeavour. One that's going to need a lot of resources, whether human or financial. 
this can be really daunting. And so in those cases, could you address how others have done it? Doing reintegration well is is a big deal. There's, there's many different aspects to the interventions that you want to do, to the problems that you want to solve. And it's very important for any one organisation to not feel like they have to do it in its entirety all on their own. It's very important for them to try and find other partners and other organisations that they can work with and other expertise that they can draw on. Not only does it help it seem less daunting, it's also just good practice to try and work with others and coordinate with others and, and try and make sure that you're, you're bringing in the, the expertise of other organisations and also that you're building on the programmes that already exist and you're not duplicating what's already there. So a good first step, I guess, is just to look around you and find out what other organisations are doing. And also to, to speak with the children that you have in your group home and some of their families, if it's possible to find them, and to just try and get an understanding of some of the reasons why separation has occurred and some of the support needs um, that, that there might be out there. And that will help you to identify appropriate partners that you can work with. Emily, thank you for being with us today. This has been really helpful. I know we just scratched the surface on this important topic. So for those tuning in, you can learn more about the guidelines for children's reintegration on the Family for Every Child's website at www.familyforeverychild.org. And for additional resources regarding family care, you can visit our website at www.faithtoaction.org. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>